morning, church. Uh, what a privilege it is to read God's Word with you today. If you have your Bibles handy with you, um, please turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll be reading from verses 1 to 3. If you'd like to borrow a church Bible, our ushers are at standby. So if you'd like to raise your hands nice and high so they can see you, and you'll be able to read on with the church Bible if you would like to read on. I'll give the ushers a moment if anyone else would like a Bible. Um, now, before we read, uh, please join with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for demonstrating your love for us on the cross. Please help us to live our lives in response to your love and mercy. Help us not to conform to the ways of this world, but to be living sacrifices for you, holy and pleasing and being devoted to one another in love. Thank you for your faithful servant, Pastor Iggy. We pray that you use him as your mouthpiece today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me now to Romans chapter 12, and we'll be reading from verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what, is God, what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Cece. Um, why we've been sitting for a little while. Why don't we all stand up? Everyone stand up and turn around and give someone an air high five because it's COVID. Say hello. Give someone an air high five. Welcome to church. Okay, that's enough. Everyone sit down now. Okay, keep your Bibles open to Romans 12. Um, you'll have to bear with me. You can tell my voice is not very good. I've been sick. I've been sick all this week, and I've been praying um, for God's help that I'll be well enough to be here with you today because I really believe today's message is so important. Uh, we really need to hear it, but please bear with me. My voice is not that great today. Um, please keep your Bibles open to Romans 12. Uh, we'll be starting there. 
Now, friends, we're going through a series called Gospel Shaped Families. Um, when you think about families, I wonder what you think about when you hear the word family. Maybe you think about something like this. Um, I'm going to use a few TV families as examples. The Brady Bunch, maybe that's what you think about when you think family. Maybe you think about this classic family, The Simpsons. Maybe you think about modern family. What a massive family that is with many varying different types of relationships and roles there. Um, maybe you think about this family, uh, Kim's Convenience, uh, classic or a newer family that's on our screens. I wonder what you think about when you think family. What roles do people have? How does family work? Well, the big question I want you to ask is, um, why do you think that? Why do you actually think that? Um, where have your values and your opinions on family actually come from? Who have they come from? We don't often stop to think about this, about why we think the way we think, but it's absolutely vital because if we're listening to the wrong voices, we'll be heading in completely the wrong direction, not only when it comes to family, but when it comes to life altogether. We live in a world that every day is shouting messages at us to think a certain way, to, to behave a certain way, and there is a godly response to this. I want you to have a look at Romans 12 with me. Have a look at Romans 12, verse 1 with me. <clears throat> Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your, body, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. <clears throat> God calls us to 100% devotion to him. You see that in verse one. Give everything to him, your whole bodies as a living sacrifice. But look at verse two. Um, what, does it, what does this look like? Uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Friends, this is the call for us. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. But the problem is we are so in the world, we don't even realize what that pattern of the world is half the time. It's in the very air that we breathe. It's all around us. It's, it's like a fish that doesn't realize he's wet because that's all he's ever known. That's what it's like to be in the world. Today, my hope is that we open our eyes to the reality of this world and the reality of how much it has shaped how we think, particularly in relation to families. For those who do not yet have families and here with us today, so good you're here with us. Te you know, whether you're a teenager, uh, single, uh, whoever you are, let me once again say that it's so good that you're here because it is so important that we get the building blocks in place before we have family to really understand how to do families in a way that God wants us to. We need to be prepared early for this, so it's so great that you're here with us today. <clears throat> today we're doing something very different. Well, we're not going to be working through a Bible text like we normally do, but we're going to be looking at two cultural movements that have profoundly influenced the way we think about family today. Um, prepare yourself, there's a lot of content. I'm moving quite quickly, but this is vital for us. We'll be looking at the sexual revolution, we'll be looking at feminism, two big topics, okay? And we're gonna start with the sexual revolution. With the 1960s came a radical change in values regarding sex. Um, it, it had been simmering for a while, 
uh, but the explosion was largely brought about by the introduction of the contraceptive pill in the 1960s. With the pill was the first time that in history the link between sex and childbearing could be broken simply and effectively. This meant the ability to have sex with anyone without the risk of pregnancy or the responsibilities that came with it. This was revolutionary for sexual freedom. You can see that, can't, it? can't you? Sex became, it changed. It became about recreation purely, not procreation. And this thinking resulted in a huge wave of change in public behavior and norms. The normalization of things like public nudity, pornography, premarital sex, homosexuality, and the legalization of abortion all came about through the sexual revolution. All of this a celebration of sex without the responsibility. And you can see the impact of this on families, can't you? Marriage was once seen as the right and good place for sex, an exclusive devotion to one partner, but now this was no longer a necessity. Sex could now be practiced freely with multiple partners and no consequences. Think about today. Think about the hookup culture of today. Think about uh, the existence of Tinder. And th these are all legacies of the sexual revolution. And marriage, even when it is engaged in nowadays, is very different. It isn't seen as a lifelong commitment between two people. At best, it's a flexible romantic contract, easily dissolved, now thanks to the no-fault divorce Act of 1975. Divorce is now easy and convenient. No consequences. Or at least that's what we want to believe. Here's a question. Do you think the world is a better place because of the sexual revolution? Many do. But I would argue it, it is an even more broken, chaotic, and confused place than ever before. There is a trail of empty, broken hearts and lives left behind. Why? Because this is not God's good design for sex. Let me start by busting the myth that God is against sex. He isn't against sex. He made it. Come with me to Genesis 2. It'll be up on the screen where we see a poetic picture of sex in creation before sin had even entered the world. This is pre-fall. Um, Verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. No shame. Sex is designed to unite a husband and wife intimately, one flesh. And this is good. With the sexual act, you become one flesh. There's a deep bond. There's a deep unity, which is why it can't just be played with. Uh, you can think of sex like, in one sense, like superglue, binding two people together strongly. In the case of a husband and a wife, this is a very, very good thing. But have you ever tried to pull apart two things that have been superglued together? There is tearing. There is ripping. Both sides are damaged. And that's what it's like every time we engage in sex with a new partner. We are torn. We are damaged. We leave part of ourselves behind. 
The world tells us that sex is to be practiced with brazen freedom. Do whatever you want. Have fun. But God wants our minds to be renewed, to see sex rightly, reserved for marriage and designed not only to bind together but to bring forth the blessing of children. Sex outside of this context is not only deeply damaging, but it's a sin against our holy God. As I say all this, this sounds very old-fashioned and prudish to many, I'm sure. The world says, haven't we moved on from this? Get with the times, Christians. No, friends, we haven't moved on from this because this is the timeless word of God. This is the eternal creator that brings us this. He knows what is best, not the world, because he made us and he made sex. Friends, I want you to realize you are fighting a hard battle in this regard. I'm sure you realize that. Porn assaults you from every device that you have. Your friends talk about sexual conquest casually and laugh at you when you don't join in. And every ad and every show, every movie, it promotes more nudity and sex as the norm. We need God's help here. Pray for his strength to resist, to uphold holiness. And let me give a reassurance for those who may have fallen in this area, who may have stumbled in this area already. God's forgiveness is far bigger than any guilt or shame that you bring to the table that you may be bearing today because of past sexual sin. He is a gracious God. He offers you forgiveness. He wants you to come to him. Come to him. Ask for forgiveness. He delights to give it to you. Your sin is not bigger than his grace. Friends, the sexual revolution we've seen, it's impacted our culture so much. It's reshaped our minds. But the second thing I want to talk about is also feminism and the way that it's changed the way we think too. Broadly defined, feminism is the advocacy of women's rights based on the equality of the sexes. Um, some of you here might identify as feminists. Um, note as I talk about feminism and feminists, um, I'm talking about the historic movement and I want, I want to point out some of the core values and the roots of that movement that have shaped it to what it is today. And that's going to be so important for us to understand. Uh, we need to start by going back to the late 1800s where we see First wave feminism, um, known as first wave feminism in the 1800s. This is where we saw important changes to women's rights in society, such as the right to vote, access to higher education, legal rights to owning property and bank accounts, an important push for equality and justice in this area. Justice and compassion were key drivers for women in this first wave as they battled against discrimination and oppression and this was a vital piece of history here in the 1800s. Second wave feminism came quite a while later on in the 1970s, and that broadened the equality agenda significantly, particularly in two areas, work and marriage. There was a move in the um, from a liberation mindset more to an empowerment mindset. Um, first, we're going to look at the feminist view of work that came out through this movement. This is one of the iconic pictures from the feminist movement back in the 1970s. Um, 
Building on Simone de Beauvoir's work, a key feminist Betty Friedman asserted um, in one of her writings, The Feminine Mystique, uh, that for women to be fulfilled and happy human beings, women need to have paid careers. Women should have paid careers. And the money was essential. Otherwise, the work was not worthwhile and society will not value you. So this was an idea that was championed by the feminists um, in the 1970s, and you'll notice how prevalent it is today as well. When women have a baby uh, nowadays, without a doubt, one of the first questions they get asked is, so when will you be going back to work? As if to say, when are you going to start doing something more important again? Stay-at-home mums often feel guilty that their work is just taking care of kids and not significant. Whereas if that same woman was doing exactly the same job, caring for someone else's kids in a childcare centre, then her work suddenly has more value. Why? Because it's paid. Do you notice the irony here? Um, one of our friends, Lee Ching and I, we've got a friend, a parent from our kids' school. She's not a Christian. Uh, she was telling us the other day how um, her kids were sad about how much time she was spending at work. So she wanted to spend more time with them. So she made a move to actually stop work and stay at home to be with the kids. Um, and I sort of affirmed it and said, I think that's a really great thing that you've decided to do that for the sake of your family. And she was so thankful that I said that to her because she had never heard that before. Um, in fact, she had been ashamed to tell people that she had done this. She was scared to tell people. Feminism uh, tells us that women need paid careers to be valued, to be fulfilled, and importantly, to be equal. And we need to understand that the definition of equality that feminists hold is that to be equal is to be the same, exactly the same. Feminism demands that women have public paid careers exactly the same as men, and if you don't, then you are part of the problem because you're allowing old-fashioned patriarchy to win. Of course, because the career takes priority, marriage and children become a lower priority, or even worse, a burden to be rid of. And that brings us to the feminist view of marriage. Uh, sig uh, significant that this was the view of Australian feminist Jermaine Greer, which is one of the most passionate voices in this, and she states this. If women are to effect a significant amelioration, which means progress, improvement, um, in their condition, it seems obvious they must refuse to marry. She was very much a big, uh, her, her, her views was that pretty much anything other than marriage was the preferable option for a woman. Greer puts forth that a woman's overriding responsibility was to herself, not to her children, and certainly not to a husband. And this makes sense when you think about this overriding push for freedom. To be truly free, it means loosing yourself from the shackles of a husband or children so that you may be able to pursue your desires and have a professional career, which undoubtedly are part of those desires. Abortion, as well, is tightly tied to feminism. As a woman asserts her right to terminate an unborn baby, especially when it impacts her way of life. Now, freedom has always been part of feminism, but note how it's changed from the first wave to the second wave. Um, initially, freedom was expressed in freeing women from injustice, the right to vote, 
education, things like that, significant moves in that, those areas. But modern feminism has morphed that into um, freedom expressed as independence. That's what freedom is, not needing anyone to tell me what to do or not being responsible to anyone. Independence has become the catch cry of modern day feminism. Women, I wonder if you've ever stopped to think, why do you believe the things you do about women's roles in society? Undoubtedly, largely it's because of the feminist movement. Whether or not you hold these views yourself explicitly, what we need to realize is that all of us have been shaped by feminism, both women and men, in the way that we think. These are the principles taught in our schools, in our universities, that is what we see in our TV shows. But here's the question to ask, um, are these views right? That's a big question we have to ask. First, we'll just look at the results briefly. As we consider the topic of family, we've seen family and marriage have actually been diminished because of feminism, the value of family and marriage. And there's, um, family and marriage have suffered because of feminism. But sadly, it seems women have suffered as well, even though the movement was for the betterment of women. Because the di dilemma for most modern women today is this, that they're urged on one side to be independent and to have a career and to do everything that a man does and more, yet most actually still desire a satisfying marriage relationship and children. And the two, they seem incompatible. How do, we, how do you actually do that? All the expectation is that you have to be a superwoman and you have to do both and you have to do both well and you have to juggle it all and if you can't, then you are a failure. And the pressure on women today is incredible. Also, women in the workplace have discovered the feminist dream of careers being the source of freedom and satisfaction. Well, that's an illusion. Because, I mean, regardless of your sex, man or woman, is our work really the source of our happiness? The answer is no. It can't be. This isn't what God made us for, to find our satisfaction and fulfillment and joy in our careers. As a whole, the results suggest that feminism hasn't delivered on what it's promised. But the important thing to think about rather than the results is what does God think? We have to filter everything through a gospel lens when it comes to culture. As we look at sex, the sexual revolution before, through a gospel lens, as we look at feminism now. And here's, firstly, here's what we can affirm. Our God is a God of justice. Justice matters. He fights for the oppressed all throughout the Old Testament. Israel, his people, are commanded to act with compassion and justice towards the needy, and they're condemned for not doing so. Here's one example in Isaiah 58. Is, is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? God here is condemning Israel for not being people of justice. He says, this is what I demand, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, to loose the chains of injustice. Justice matters to God. The good of feminism comes as it is, it's in line with God's will for justice. 
a justice that he'll bring on the final day when Jesus Christ returns, but that he wishes his people to live out right now every day. Discrimination, abuse, injustice of any kind towards women is an evil, evil thing. It's a terrible thing, and this is what we should be rightly fighting for. But friends, this shouldn't just be a feminist ideal, should it? All Christians are called to fight injustice. This is who God wants us to be. Women, if you have suffered these things, I'm deeply sorry if there's been any discrimination, abuse, or injustice towards you. I can't even begin to imagine the pain that some of you have gone through. It's never right, but I want you to know that God cares about you and that he cares about injustice. We see him come down in the flesh in Jesus Christ as a man who fought for the marginalized and oppressed women in his world. God cares and he cares about injustice because of this very next point I'll be bringing out, the value of all humans. We can affirm feminism's longing for equality because this is how God has made us. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Men and women alike are made in the image of God which means that we all have the same inherent value. Sexism, racism, ageism, whatever it is, is is evil. It is wrong because it's not treating a human being made in the image of God with the dignity they deserve. It's clear men and women are equal in value. But notice the basis of the equality. What is it? What makes men and women equal? It's because God has created us like that. It isn't based on what you do. Have a look at the role that God gives women in Genesis 2, which is different from a man. Genesis 2, 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And already I know we cringe at this word helper. It seems to imply a lower status. But that's because we're bringing our worldly viewpoint to it. That what we do is where our value lies. This is what we've been raised with since we were small, haven't we? The awards, the marks, the course, the job. This is what matters. This is where we get our value, what we do. We, we don't, why do we think a garbage collector is less valuable than a cardiologist? Uh, now, we might not say that, but we think it, don't we? Because we're so used to thinking about what we do being the source of our value. Our roles in life, friends, they're not about our value. Did you know that the word helper is used of God himself in the Bible? There is nothing lesser or weak about our great God when he functions in this role. We see in the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, all different in their role, yet equal because they are all God. Friends, if anything, this word helper points to a vital interdependence. Man needs woman to do the work that God has called him to do. Men and women are to 
complement each other in their difference so together they can serve God as intended. This is God's good design. God, did you notice, when Adam needed help, God didn't make another man to help him. He made a woman to help as only she could. And note this is before sin enters the world. This is a good thing. Friends, men and women are equal but different. Equality in God's eyes does not mean identical. That's the world's view. Feminism seeks to erase the differences between men and women, but that's going against God's good design. He has different complementary roles for men and women in the church, in the marriage, in family, and that is a good thing. And friends, we can have assurance as we live out these differences that you are deeply valued and loved by God. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are, made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. That's where our equality lies. I want to end by looking at one more point, the big problem with culture. The impact of cultural movements in our behavior is undeniable. But we need to actually address the big principle that drives the behavior. Because if we don't get this, then we are in grave danger of continually falling into the pattern of the world. And here's what I want to point out with culture as a whole. Culture calls us to be selfish and God calls us to be selfless. Culture calls us to be selfish. God calls us to be selfish. Now, you might hear this and think that I'm being overly harsh. Surely the secular world has come up with some good and helpful things. And yes, by God's, tr- God's grace, that's true in part. We've seen this with the feminist movement as they've brought about some positive change in women's rights. But no, this is only when the world acts in line with God's character. As a whole, there's an inherent selfishness that drives our culture because our culture as a whole doesn't act in line with what God wants. For example, the sexual revolution, it's entirely based on personal desires, independence, what I want. Feminism, although starting with noble aims, ultimately became a movement of independence where it asks, um, in its most pure form, it, it just asks what's good for me as a woman, what's good for me. And it doesn't ask what's good for those around me. But friends, as we think about these things, it shouldn't surprise us that culture as a whole, I'm not just talking about these two movements, but our culture as a whole acts in this way because the world has rejected God and elevated self as king. Culture is all about putting my wants and my desires and my autonomy above the good of others and definitely above what God wants. This is what the Bible calls sin. This is all culture. This is the way that it is orientated. We need to understand the world we live in. The culture we adopt so readily is actually a culture that's set on rejecting God. This is bigger than sex. This is bigger than feminism. This is a principle we need to critically assess all the messages that we get from the world that come to us. Why do you think in James 4, 4, it states, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Friendship with the world means enmity against God. These two things are not compatible, the world and God. Come with me again back to Romans 12, verse 2. It says this, 
Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Verse 2 is the command to not conform to the world, but to be transformed. Verse 3 introduces what this looks like. And the call is to be humble and to love others. The following verses talk about your gifts, using them not for yourself, but to build one another up. And they culminate in verse 9. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourself. This is what it means to have a new mind apart from the world. It's deep humility and it's love for others. This is the call. And let me tell you, this is, this is hard. I'll be honest, there's a big part of me that didn't want to be here today and that didn't want to give this message to you today. Because you know what? I want to be liked. And I know that some of what I say today will be unpopular and will be hard to hear. But I realize too that it would be selfish of me to shy away from this because of that fear. I love you guys as a church and I believe this is so important for us to hear. As we think about how we live in accordance with God's will. Friends, Loving others at the expense of ourselves, it is hard. And when you do this, the culture around you, people around you will not like you or call you weak and foolish because you aren't looking out for yourself. But that's okay. That's okay. Because we follow a powerful saviour who walked this very path. In Jesus, we see true humility. In Jesus, we see true love. Because in Jesus, we see God come down in the flesh to die for his enemies. This, this is love. Christ's selfless love to save a selfish world, to save you and me. Friends, our selfish sin was killing us, but now we have been set free. We can't go back to our old selfish ways. We can't listen to the call of the selfish culture around us anymore. We need to instead humble ourselves to serve our Lord and King Jesus Christ, and we do that by selflessly loving others, just as Jesus loved us. Culture calls us to be selfish. God calls us to be selfless. Christ calls us to be selfish, self selfless through his example, and through his words as he gave his very life for us. Now, which voice will you listen to? The sermons that we've heard and the sermons to come are trying to help us think practically about what this looks like in family life, to think more about this. And some of these things, they're going to be hard to hear and we aren't going to like them. But will you do something with me today? 
will you pray with me for humility, that we may have a soft heart to hear what God wants over what the culture is shouting at us. If you're anything like me, we need God's help to throw off our selfishness and to soften our hearts to hear his word and humbly submit to his will. And let's pray for that now. Father God, we ask for humility. We ask that you would help us to see truly what your word says, even when it's uncomfortable, and to filter out these loud voices the world shouts at us. Help us, Father, to see your vision of what life is like as your people. Help us be humble and help us be willing to be changed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, friends, we're going to do, be doing something a little bit different now as well. Um, you don't get to see this very much, but I'm going to invite my wife, Lee Ching, to the stage. Uh, so please welcome her as she comes up. We're going to do a little interview. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, dear. That's okay. I wrote all my notes on my phone, and my phone just blacked out in the middle of the service, so it's just to stop me from rambling. Because yeah. some of you guys know I ramble a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, um, the reason Ching's with us today is um, today's sermon, uh, there's quite a few things that I guess are hard to wrestle with, uh, can be a bit uncomfortable to hear, and um, this has been something in the past that you've been wrestling with as well. And um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your journey as you've thought about things like the role of women and what the Bible says and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to share a little yeah. bit about that? Um, so growing up since I was little, even though I didn't use the term uh, feminism or a feminist, 